the world. Um, so we've started to think about mission. Um, last week we were thinking about God's mission, uh, which we thought about as being uh, really big, as being about uh, all things being restored, all things being reconciled to God, all things being made new, but also incredibly personal, being about the one sheep that's lost and how God goes after uh, the one. And so that's God's mission, uh, but this week we want to uh, take it a step further and think about if that's God's mission, then what is our mission? Uh, what's the mission that you and I um, are given? Uh, I want to read, uh, to help us think about that, I want to read from Matthew chapter 9. Uh, so this is where uh, one of the accounts of where Jesus first commissions his disciples. I don't know if you ever thought about that word commission, and it really means to, to send out with a mission, to give a mission. Um, so this is where Jesus gives a mission to his disciples uh, in Matthew 9. Uh, so we're going to read from Matthew 9, uh, reading from verse 35. Um, and we're going to read on in the chapter 10. And I guess this passage starts off talking about Jesus' mission, and then as you'll see, you see him passing on that mission uh, to his disciples. So Matthew chapter 9, reading from verse 35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest therefore to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus called his twelve disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. And then lists the names of the twelve, those first twelve disciples. And then it goes on like this in verse 5. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter into any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. That's where we're going to end our, our reading this morning. Um, so, thinking first of all, I want to think about the mission of Jesus and then we'll, we'll come to ours. Um, I don't know if you were to sum up from the beginning of this passage uh, what it says about the mission of Jesus, how you would sum it up. Um, but it seems to me as Jesus goes around the towns and villages of Galilee, um, we see him doing two things, and you see this not only here in Matthew 9, but all through the Gospels. You see him doing two things. First of all, he proclaims the good news of the Gospel in words. Um, it says in this passage, he proclaimed the good news of the Kingdom. And actually that's repeated again and again and again in the Gospels. The good news that Jesus announces is the good news of the Kingdom. The Kingdom of Heaven has come near. The Kingdom of Heaven is at hand. The Kingdom of God is at hand. Um, and I guess as you and I read, we, we are aware the reason the Kingdom has come near 
is because Jesus is the king and he has come near. So the kingdom is present in the very person of Jesus as he's there among people as he goes through Galilee. Uh, and so Jesus announces in words, the kingdom has come, the kingdom is breaking in, the kingdom is at hand, and he calls people to make a personal response. So typically he says, repent and believe the good news. Turn, turn your thinking around, turn your life around, and embrace this good news, believe it. Um, so Jesus proclaims the good news in words, but then secondly, as he does that, he demonstrates the good news in action. And again, you see this again and again and again through the Gospels. He does it by healing the sick, by giving sight to the blind, by driving out demons, by raising the dead, and on and on and on. And his actions are filled with love and power, um, with loving power or powerful love as he moves through the villages of Galilee. Um, he, he demonstrates the kingdom in action. Wherever there's brokenness, he brings healing. Wherever people are oppressed or captive, he brings freedom. Um, and, and not just to people's souls, but also to their bodies and their minds and their whole lives. Um, along with the verbal proclamation of the gospel, there's a visible demonstration of the gospel. People hear the message with their ears, but they also see it lived out in in full colour. It's a kind of audio-visual presentation of the gospel. The words and the actions together are a really powerful combination. I wonder would you agree with me? You see that all through the gospels always. The words of the gospel, the actions of the gospel, words about the kingdom, the the demonstration of the kingdom. Um, And then Jesus calls his twelve disciples. And this is the beginning of him passing on his mission to others. Um, it's always worth remembering the word disciple simply means an apprentice. And I think that's the best kind of translation of the word, is it's an apprentice. Uh, and if you think about what it means to be an apprentice, you think about Robin McNeil uh, being an apprentice to a plumber. What does that mean? It, it doesn't just mean that he follows the plumber around everywhere he goes. Um, or even just that he listens to what the plumber says. But it means that he's starting to learn to do the things that he sees the plumber doing. And the, the idea is that he's going to become, maybe already is, an amazingly skilled plumber. Uh, that's the idea of being an apprentice. Um, and so it's not a surprise when, when Jesus' mission has this double edge of proclaiming with words and demonstrating an action. It's not a surprise when we see him giving that same mission to his disciples. The same two things. He says, as you go, proclaim this message. Proclaim the good news of the kingdom. Um, his disciples are to use words to share the gospel, to share the good news. And also as they go, they're to use actions to demonstrate the reality of the kingdom. So he says to them, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, uh, and so on. Um, now, I'm really aware, as I say that, um, probably our minds immediately get drawn to the very dramatic nature of the miracles that Jesus is talking about there. Um, and that's not the main thing that I want to focus on this morning, but I do just want to note it in passing. As you read this passage, Jesus gives his disciples authority over sickness and over the powers of evil. 
And Jesus seems to expect that the proclamation of the gospel will be accompanied by signs and wonders of all kinds. And as you read through the New Testament, I guess I simply want to say this, that there's nothing in the New Testament to suggest that that is only for the first generation. And so maybe for you and I there's a, a challenge that we need to just note on the way through, that maybe we need to raise our expectations that as the gospel is proclaimed, it is also to be followed by all kinds of signs of the power of the Spirit and the power of God's kingdom um, in all kinds of ways. So I want to kind of, that's kind of a big thing to note in passing, but I'm going to kind of note it and then move on. Uh, but I want to focus this morning, I guess, on this general principle that you and I are called as disciples of Jesus to, to this double mission, to speak the words of the gospel in, uh, out loud in words and to demonstrate the good news in action. And that as it was for Jesus, so for us, the words and actions together are a really powerful combination. Um, you and I are given a command many times in the New Testament uh, to go and preach the gospel. Um, one of my favourite uh, occurrences of that comes at the end of Mark's gospel, where he says to his disciples, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. I kind of really like that. It's not only all people, but it sounds like we're going to preach the gospel to the mountains and the rivers and the trees and every living creature. Um, declare the gospel everywhere you go uh, to all creation. Uh, it doesn't mean that we're all called to be preachers in a pulpit. Um, it doesn't mean that we're all called to kind of stand up and deliver sermons to our colleagues and neighbours. Um, but it does mean that we're to use words to speak good news. We're to find ways to tell the world that Jesus is King and has conquered sin and death and hell and his kingdom is breaking in. That Jesus has risen from the dead and now offers life to everyone who believes. Um, go tell it on the mountains, is what Isaiah says. Um, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. Right? So that's at the very heart of our mission in the world. We are set to, to speak the good news of the kingdom uh, to, to anyone we meet, and even to all creation. Um, but it's also true, isn't it, that you and I have been given, alongside that command, you and I have been given many other commands, both in the Old Testament and the New. As disciples of Jesus, there are other things that we are commanded and sent to do. Uh, let me put a few of them up on the screen. Uh, these are, you can go and find these uh, where they crop up in different parts of the Bible. But we are to heal the sick, we are to feed the hungry, we are to welcome the stranger, we are to seek justice for the oppressed, we are to love our enemies, we are to bind up the brokenhearted, we are to comfort those who mourn, we are to encourage the disheartened. And that's just a few picked from different parts of um, New Testament especially, but also the Old. Um, and so we have this command at the centre to preach the gospel. We also have all these other things that we're called to do. Uh, and I guess what I want to maybe draw our attention to this morning is, I think this is one of those times where we're often not very good at holding these things together. And it's one of those places where one of the devil's sneakiest tricks is to get different parts of the church to focus on different parts of the Bible. 
and we all end up a little lopsided and a little one-eyed and a little imbalanced in our data. Let me try and sort of demonstrate on the screen what that might look like. So some Christians uh, will focus entirely or primarily on preaching the gospel uh, and will say, well, that's the most important thing. And sometimes people will say, well, it doesn't matter if people are warm and well-fed and have community and friendship. If they remain alienated and disconnected from God, people need the gospel, they need Jesus. And so we throw ourselves into that mission of preaching the gospel. And those other things start to kind of fade and fade into the background until sometimes they almost entirely disappear. And our mission then just has one note, which is the verbal proclamation of the gospel. What happens whenever we go in that direction? I want to suggest what happens is our preaching ends up falling flat. Our preaching ends up sounding kind of thin and tinny and hollow. It doesn't ring true. Because people can hear the words, but they can't see it lived out in action. They, they hear us say, the kingdom has come, the king has come. But they're looking at our lives and they're thinking, it doesn't seem to make a lot of difference. Where is the healing and the freedom and the life and the joy and the power of the kingdom of God. Or they hear us preaching about God's amazing love for the world and saying God so loved the world that he gave his only son and that whoever believes in him should not perish and, and so on. And, and we say this love has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit and yet if people are looking at our lives and they don't see a lot of signs of that love What's the effect of that on our message and on the way our message is received? And if you'll forgive me a, a sort of cheeky image, we, we end up, in the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians, like a clashing symbol. That's all that our attempts at evangelism, we may as well just bang symbols together for all the effect that it has, because the words are there, but our lives don't echo the things that we're preaching. I wonder if you recognise that as a danger uh, for some of us. Uh, but equally, some Christians will react to all of that by going the other way. So let's go back to our all the things that we're commanded to do. And so some Christians will say, because of the danger of being all talk and no action, let's focus on living the gospel in action and let's show the world the beauty of the gospel and the kingdom. And we, we elevate those things, but over time, the speaking of the good news can fade away and fade away until it can even disappear. Again, I want to suggest that is a disaster for the church and for the world. We, we end up doing all these other things, but we've lost the thing at the heart, at the core, uh, that kind of is meant to connect it all together. We end up trying to heal the broken world ourselves. We end up trying to build the kingdom without the king and that ends up, can only end up in weariness and disillusionment and again if we can put an image to that, we're trying to mend all the brokenness of the world with a sticky plaster and it's not, it doesn't go deep enough to heal all that's broken in our world if you, if you prefer a different image it's like uh, the world is on fire and we have a water pistol and we're running around trying to put it out it's a human project without God's power. Because as it says in Romans, the gospel 
is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. So we see the disaster when we keep everything else in our mission or we lose the gospel, then the whole thing lacks the dynamite, the power, the dynamos um, of the gospel. We need to hold these two things together. It sounds very simple, but we seem to find it very hard. Speak the good news. Don't be ashamed to say the name of Jesus as you're in the world, as you're with your neighbours, as you're with your friends. But also, live the good news in actions that are full of God's love and full of God's power. Because that combination of words and actions is dynamite. It's powerful. Um, it was powerful in the ministry of Jesus. And it's powerful in our lives as well. Um, I love, in the middle of the, the passage that I read, there's a little phrase, I love Jesus says to the disciples, as you go, do these things. As you go. Um, and for the disciples, obviously, that meant some of them were called, it seems all of those 12 were called to leave their homes and their jobs and to go uh, into kind of an itinerant ministry of travelling around with Jesus and, and so on. And some of us may be called to do something like that too. You might be called like Rachel uh, Robinson to go to Cameroon and to be involved in Bible translation. You may be called to give up your, your the work you're doing and go and do something uh, something else. But for many of us, the call is going to be to stay where you are and in that place to live the gospel and speak the gospel as you go. <laughs> as you go every day. Um, around your, your ordinary life in family and work and friendship your, your ordinary life is the place that you are sent on mission uh, I've been struck a lot recently by how I think so much of what Jesus does in our lives as he changes us is he gives us new eyes he gives us a new perspective so we're still in the same place seeing the same people but we see in a different way and I think that's part of what's going on here as we get, get a, a vision of the mission that Jesus has given us. We're given new eyes to see the, the places where we spend our everyday, the people around us, the needs around us, the opportunities around us. Um, again, in the middle of the passage that we read, um, there's a phrase where it says, when Jesus saw the crowds, when he saw the crowds, I want you to... Um, actually pause and kind of imagine this for a second because um, whenever, whenever you read the Gospels it, it kind of seems like Jesus drew to himself the most messy and the most broken and the most complicated and the most needy people around if you think about all, all the kind of needs that people brought to Jesus of demon possession and paralysis and blindness and uh, diseases that they've had for a lifetime and all the rest um, it seems like the most broken, messy people crowded around Jesus. And I was reading somebody recently who said, imagine this happening in your own town. Imagine if right now all the most troubled and desperate people in Korean all gathered in one place. Just, just imagine that. That's what happened around Jesus. All the most troubled people, all the most broken people, all the most desperate people, all in one place. Um, I was, I was kind of trying to put myself in this place and think, how would I respond to that kind of crowd? How, how would I see them as I, as I looked at them? Um, here's some of the things I thought, if I'm being honest. 
Um, I might feel overwhelmed. That would be one reaction. There's too many complicated needs, just overwhelming. Where do you, where do you begin uh, with, with those kind of needs and that kind of crowd? Um, I think if we're being honest, another reaction sometimes might be to kind of recoil and be a little bit, uh, I don't know if disgusted is the right word, or a wee bit just to find it distasteful, to find it unpleasant to face all of that brokenness and mess, because some of it is not nice to look at. Uh, and so we might find ourselves just wanting to turn away and go and be with some nice, pleasant people who are uh, comfortable to be around. It might even be, as we look at a crowd like that, that we feel a little bit superior. But there might be part of us that thinks they brought this at least partly on themselves. Mm. Look at the choices they made in their lives that have brought them to that place. I, I don't know if you agree with me that that, that might be some of our reactions. Uh, whenever we look at a crowd full of needs, um, what I'm really struck by in this passage is that Jesus sees the crowd in a very different way. How, how does he see them? Two, two ways that I find really striking. First of all, he sees them uh, as sheep without a shepherd. As he has compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. He, he feels their pain. That word compassion means to suffer with. He actually feels the pain of the people that he's with. Uh, if we can put it in the language of Sheep again, he, he hears the bleeding of their souls. He hear, hears the cry of pain coming from their souls. Um, and maybe it's worth you and I just noting, uh, maybe sometimes we kind of very flippantly or, or lightly say, uh, I'd like to have the heart of Jesus for the people around me. But maybe part of what we need to acknowledge is that if Jesus gives us his heart for the people we rub shoulders with every day, we're going to start to hear their pain and see their pain, and feel their pain. That's not, not an easy thing, or a light thing. Um, so that's kind of the first thing. Jesus looks at the crowd, and he, he sees them as sheep without a shepherd, and feels their pain. Um, the second thing, and I find this kind of amazing, is Jesus, as he looks at that crowd of the broken, and the messy, and the desperate, and the hurting, and the troubled, Jesus sees a field full of an abundance of crops just ready for harvesting. That's what he sees. Um, that's kind of a, a, an extraordinarily positive, hopeful image. He says the harvest is plentiful. He's looking out and seeing the harvest ready for gathering. Um, but the only thing that's needed is some willing workers to go and work in the fields. We'll go into that field and gather that abundant harvest. So he says the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. All that's needed is some willing workers, because there's a ripeness here, there's a readiness here, ready to be gathered. Um, there are not many who are willing to go and do that work. Um, I don't know how you honestly react to that. Um, part of me, whenever I hear those words from Jesus, thinks that sounds way too easy. We can, like we can just go out there and divine sandal and just start gathering the harvest, uh, like it's just waiting to be collected. Uh, and I find myself thinking about the people I know who are uh, not Christians or have walked away from church, and I think of a lot of people I know are certainly seem so settled in their ways, 
and so not interested in the gospel or in Jesus uh, and even sometimes hostile to it and kind of hardened against it um, and I, also, I probably usually find myself thinking um, if any of them are going to be reached by the gospel it's going to be really hard and it's going to take a long time uh, with a lot of struggle um, I don't know if that would be your honest reaction as well um, what, what are we to make of what Jesus said if the harvest is kind of waiting and ready and ripe um, maybe part of us thinks the crowd that we face is different to the crowd that Jesus faced. Maybe they were ready, but the people I meet every day don't seem to be very ready for the message of the, the gospel. So I kind of wondered about that, but this week and kind of wrestled with it a wee bit. But I kept sensing God kind of challenging me back to the side. I wanted to make excuses and say it's harder today, or people today are harder for all these different kinds of reasons that they've been of what's happened in our history or what's happened then in our history or whatever. And I find myself wondering, maybe we give in too easily to that negative perspective. Maybe sometimes it's comfortable to lower our expectation. And actually maybe Jesus really wants to give us these new eyes with this new perspective. That yes, there are many needs and so much brokenness and so much mess. And yes, people are often hostile or hardened or set in their ways. And yet, there are also people waiting for someone to come with the message of hope and healing and forgiveness. And along with the message, a life that reflects the reality of that message, there are people who are ready, just waiting for someone to come as the bringer of that good news. And the question for us is not so much how difficult is it out there or how hard are people how willing are we to go and be one of those workers um, maybe this week I wanted to say to myself and to you let's not overcomplicate our calling go and live the gospel where you are as you go go and speak the gospel where you are as you go and ask the Lord of the harvest to do the rest to bring those miracles of salvation and healing and new creation and resurrection I want, to, I want to finish with uh, something that may seem a little bit different, but it was connected in my mind anyway. Um, but I've kind of gone back often in recent weeks to, um, I haven't quoted C.S. Lewis for a long time, um, so I'm quoting him this morning at length. Um, but I want to read you some words written by C.S. Lewis in uh, 1948. Um, some of you will see, will see these words being shared during the coronavirus season, because I think a lot of people have found um, Lewis was writing about living as a Christian with the threat of nuclear war. Uh, people were asking him, how do we live as a Christian with the fear of nuclear war, the fear that the world could be annihilated at the touch of a button? And a lot of people have been finding these words powerfully relevant to our present moment and the things that the world is going through right now. Um, I think you'll see in a moment, if you haven't heard this before, you'll see why people are finding this powerful and relevant. I just want to read a couple of paragraphs uh, from what Lewis writes. Um, you, can, you can replace the atomic bomb with coronavirus and whatever else is going on today. He says, in one way, we think a great deal too much about the atomic bomb. How are we to live in an atomic age? I'm tempted to reply, why, as you would have lived in the 16th century, when the plague visited London almost every year, 
Whereas you would have lived in a Viking age when raiders from Scandinavia might land and cut your throat any night. Or indeed, as you're already living in an age of cancer, an age of syphilis, an age of paralysis, an age of air raids, an age of railway accidents, an age of motor accidents. In other words, don't let us begin by exaggerating the novelty of our situation. That sentence gets me every time I read this. Let's not begin by exaggerating the novelty of our situation. Believe me, dear sir or madam, you and all whom you love were already sentenced to death before the atomic bomb was invented. It's perfectly ridiculous to go about whimpering and drawing long faces because the scientists have added one more chance of painful and premature death to a world which already bristled with such chances and which death itself was not a chance at all, but a certainty. And then he said this, that that's the first point to be made, and the first action to be taken is to pull ourselves together. If we're all going to be destroyed by an atomic bomb, let that bomb, when it comes, find us doing sensible and human things. Praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing the children, playing tennis, chatting to our neighbours over a pint and a game of darts, not huddled together like frightened sheep and thinking about bombs. They may break our bodies, a microbe can do that, but they need not dominate our minds. You see why a lot of people find those words very powerful. Um, I don't want you to mishear me. I'm not wanting to encourage everybody to throw off masks and all precautions. Um, there wasn't much you could do to protect yourself against an atomic bomb. There are some simple things we can do uh, to help protect ourselves and our neighbours today. But I, I do want us to hear the challenge there. Let's not allow coronavirus to dominate our minds. Let's not allow government regulations to dominate our minds. Let's get on with doing sensible human things. And let's also get on with doing the basic things that disciples are called to do. Live the gospel where you are as you go. Speak the gospel where you are as you go. And ask the Lord of the harvest to bring those miracles of salvation and healing and resurrection. Um, let's pray together and then we'll, we'll sing just to respond to what we've been thinking about. and your heart 
we're going to start to see and hear and feel the pain of our neighbours. So we want to reckon with that cause and ask, am I willing to have my heart broken by what's around me and by the people around me? And even as we count the cost, we also want to anticipate the joy that as we join you in your mission, we're going to get to see amazing things. We're going to get to see people who are lost finding their home. People weighed down by sadness finding joy. People held captive being set free. People who are lonely being brought into your family. People whose lives are hollow and empty, finding deep purpose. Father, as you sift and search our hearts this morning, I do want to pray for everybody in the building this morning and everybody tuning in online. I want to pray that there would be an answer stirring in our hearts that would say, here I am, send me. We want to ask the Lord of the harvest, would you send workers into the harvest faith who are ready and willing to joyfully play their part? And we want to offer ourselves and ask, would you start with us? We're willing to go.